you know, the more I do this podcast, the more I realize how amazing human beings actually are. Every person I have come into contact with has given me their time and their energy and their enthusiasm and their knowledge, and they have done so freely and enthusiastically. And today's guest is absolutely no exception. If anything, Tesh Randall is the poster child for trying to help other people. So she does this of her own volition. She shares her love for business strategy, for marketing, for saving the planet all pretty freely. And when you combine that with the fact that she also is the founder and owner of a couple of really great businesses and the author of a couple of really fantastic children's books, you start to think that this woman is really walking the talk. By the time you're done with this episode, you're going to want to be friends with Tesh, you're going to want to do business with her, and you're going to want to reach out to her and find ways to interact. And I do suggest that you do that. She is brilliant and gives of herself so freely that I can't even tell you how great it was to be introduced to her. So here we go. Episode 20, The Gift of Enthusiasm. With me today is Tesh Randall, and she's a really kind of an interesting person because she keeps tripping into new categories and new businesses. She started as a young author and did a lot of marketing and media, created her own digital agency, and then somehow, across an amazing turn of events, became a food person and is now actually one of the most productive boutique food providers in New Zealand. So welcome Tish to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me on it. The story of how you became a yogurt maker is really kind of amazing. So I would love if you could tell that story. Yeah, sure. So um, my partner started developing a dairy intolerance. We'd wake up in the morning and he'd be sniffing and snuffling and making all these weird noises and have to blow his nose like a hundred times before we could start work. And we thought, mm, that's probably not normal. Um, something's going on there. So just went through all the different things it could be and started eliminating things out of our um, diet. And it turned out it was dairy. And that was a real bummer because we love dairy or loved (laughs) Um, we ate a lot of ice cream we had yogurt for breakfast and our smoothies with our cake like we we ate a lot of yogurt and so that was the one thing I really didn't want to give up and we were already drinking almond milk so it was easy but yeah yogurt I was like what can I do for for yogurt for us now and I started researching online um, different types of dairy free yogurt and coconut seemed the most appealing, so I thought I'd give that a crack. I just experimented, just tried different ways of making it, like found out about cultures and incubation times and all those things that you need to do. And it probably took three or four months, and then voila, we had yummy coconut yogurt. And I thought that was it. Like, I thought we were just going to make our own yogurt <laughs> and eat it. Um, 
But I made a big batch one day and I had maybe two or three extra jars. I'd made quite a big pot of it. And I thought, oh, I'll see if anyone's keen on this. Like someone might want to buy one. I've got extra. And so I just put a post up on our local um, notice board Facebook page. And everyone is on there. Like everyone in Raglan watches this page all day, I, I think. And the post went mental. Like everyone wanted a jar. I had this list of people, about 60 people who all wanted a big jar of yogurt. And it just went nuts from there. So now you are in all of the boutique retailers, people like Faro, and I think you're in Nosh as well. Yeah, Nosh. And, and you turn this accidental overcooking recipe into a full-time job. Pretty much. In addition yep. to your other full-time jobs. Yeah. <laughs> yep. We're yogurt people now and digital agency people and yet building people. We're doing a lot of different things at the moment. But it's all fun and it all fits together quite well in a strange way. And you chose to move to Raglan, which is kind of a boutique community on the west coast of New Zealand that is not at all connected to city. Yet you no. are running all of the city life from there. Yeah, it's not a logical place to start a food enterprise. <laughs> like even transport. We just kind of got lucky that there are chilled trucks that come and deliver to some of the cafes here, and so they can pick up our yogurt here, take it back to the main depot, and distribute from there. But otherwise, like if we were trying to distribute ourselves from Raglan, it'd be it'd be a nightmare. Like it's not really on the way to anywhere; it's out of the way. <laughs> but it works, and it's a really supportive community, which is the whole reason it even started. Because all these people thought, "Oh yeah, I'll buy a jar of yogurt off." You know, this person who's making it at home. It's that kind of place. But in addition to this, you've got a full production line and you're selling into major retailers. You're also publishing your second book. Yeah, that just came out. So it's a children's book, um, Abigail Knightley. I self-published my first book when I was, gosh, I must have been 19. Yeah. And I wrote this one shortly after, but sort of just sat on it and thought I'd do something with it at some stage. And the first book went quite well, and a publishing company had seen a copy of my first one and contacted me saying, your first book's really cute. If you decide to write something else, let us know. Yeah, and I pitched them the second story, and they were keen, and so it's just come out. came out in October last year. So normally somebody would say, I'm an author. Maybe you're writing articles or, or anything, but you have completely disparate business lines. You're the editor of a magazine, you're writing children's books, you're making yogurt. None yeah. of these things make sense. How does how does it all come together for you? I guess I pick my story depending on who I'm talking to. <laughs> so most people most people will know me under a certain hat and they'll know me as the yogurt person. Like m most people would have no idea that we have a digital agency as well as the yogurt and have probably never heard of my kids' books. And then another circle of people would only know me for those things. But then in some ways, together really well. And so we get to link up things like with our digital agency, we can do all the marketing for our yogurt business and we can do marketing for the children's books. So that links. And then through the yogurt, we're getting clients for our agency because our agency is called The Good Agency. So we're focusing on 
ethical, sustainable businesses doing good things. And that's exactly the kind of businesses that we're meeting through the yogurt because it's small and it's handcrafted and artisan and all these things. So they sort of beat each other while still being separate from each other. Hmm. Now, your partner in these businesses is also your partner in life. Yes. Now, that has all of the opportunity to turn into something magical for you, <laughs> apparently. But for most people, that would kill them. Yeah. <laughs> it could either be magic or a complete disaster. <laughs> and we sort of just got straight into it. So I think we've been together maybe three months when we started the, the agency together. Yeah, and then only a few years into that, there was the yogurt. It's been a very full-on way to do a relationship, like from the very beginning. It's not that we were ever just chilled and kind of doing separate things. It was like projects, and now we're going to have more projects, and let's see what other projects we can do together. So we do everything together, apart from the children's books, which is really my little side project. I don't know very many people who would say they've written two books and that's a side project. That's a full-time gig for most people. Yeah, it kind of feels like a side project at the moment. And the yurt's a side project that's on our on our property here. So we've just built a yurt and that, that's kind of an ongoing thing. We're still adding little bits to it and finishing up the bathroom and trying to make it all self-sustaining so it's off the grid. Um, with solar panels and composting toilets and all that kind of things. Yeah, but I like it. I mean, it's really nice if you can work with your partner and it and it works. And we have really complementary skill set. We've both done um, personality tests and apparently our two personalities are either like the most conflicting or the most symbiotic. <laughs> um, yeah, he's got all the... The thinking and the rational and the logic and the finances and the strategy and that sort of implementation operations side of things. And then I get to be the creative, bubbly marketing person. It's amazing to see it when it is complimentary, when everybody is getting to magnify their best with their partner. It's hard. I'm not saying it's not hard. <laughs> we have to work on it really well and be aware of how we speak to each other and how we treat each other and because you can you can get quite demanding like when they're your business partner as well you can be like I need this done and I, I need this back and we need to figure this problem out but then you have to remember like I love this person I need to talk to them nicely <laughs> like it's a tricky one and then you're always talking about work so we go out for dinner and we'll be talking about business stuff on the way there and then figuring out employee issues while we're eating and and we have to be conscious of that too because sometimes it can get a little bit much we just want to sort of tune out now as your i'm going to call it career but i guess you've sort of it's less a career than more of a lifestyle you've sort of yeah. driven down this path of when something is happening you just continue to make it happen so self-publishing your first book because the easiest path to making sure that you got published was publishing yourself. Mm -hmm. Creating a yogurt company because there was demand and you and figured no out a way to have a supply. <laughs> yeah. As you sort of have moved through your life, you're just a problem solver more than anything. I'm an ideas person. 
I have an idea and then I want to make it happen as well. Like a lot of people have ideas. People are always telling me their ideas. Oh, it'd be so cool if there was this or I'd love to create this. Or, and then whenever I say, well, why don't you? you could, that's easy. Like you could go and start that tomorrow if you wanted to. Then there's always excuses and there's always reasons why, oh, that would, it wouldn't work though. Or I'm really busy in my full-time job or I don't really have enough money to start it. Or like there's all these reasons why they can't do the thing that they want to do. But I've never subscribed to that way of thinking. I'm more like, I'll just try it. I'll give it a go. And if it picks up, then I'll be able to keep it moving. Like it will sort of start to support itself along the way. And it really works. It's amazing once you start something, the kind of momentum that comes in behind you. It's like the universe wants to help you create stuff. So if you start, then it goes, oh, good. This person's making some movements. Like we'll get behind them and give them some more help. Yeah, and that's happened with every single thing I've ever tried to do. How do you face failure when you keep flowing down a path where things are working? Oh, but there's tons of failure. (laughs) There's just small failures the whole way. (laughs) Tons of failures. I've screwed up all sorts of things. Most things aren't final. Like something can happen and it can seem like a disaster at the time. It can be like, well, this is going to kill it. Like this is massive. How could this have happened? Like with the yogurt, there can be so many things that go wrong and have gone wrong. Like one time um, we had the the truck that had picked up all our yogurt driving to Hamilton and the racks that hold all the boxes of yogurt came loose in the truck. They crashed down. They smashed all the jars that are meant to be going out for stockists that the next day and you kind of you get that call and you think oh no this is it like we're going to call all our stockers and tell them their product is smashed and they won't want to have us in their store anymore because we've let them down and but then you work through it and you realize actually it's not a disaster like people understand that things go go wrong and we can make more yogurt we'll just have to do a double shift and try and it and it always ends up working out but you just have to keep going even when stuff goes wrong sounds like an incredible lifestyle of positivity and stress (laughs) in those moments where things are going wrong (laughs) but there's no other option is there like it's either that or you just give up and then what's the point you're not going to be one of those people that curls up in a ball under the desk and just hides from the world maybe for 10 minutes and then i'm like okay gotta get out there again now as you've kind of evolve down this path, you ju- you keep doing things that are really kind of aligning with your personal values. You, know, mm. you mentioned the good agency, you're focused on only inviting customers to be your customers if they're doing something that meets your social values. Why is that important? It's all part of being authentic for me. I had a project that I started maybe four years ago where I was focusing on different things I wanted to be rather than different things I wanted to do. Um, so kind of a reverse to-do list. And it turned into a blog, and then it will eventually be a book. Along the way of of doing that, I realized that it's really important to me to be authentic. And so for us, that means like we don't personally want to create waste, and anything we create, we try and recycle. So then it would make absolutely no sense for us to have a yogurt in a plastic bottle for example, which is what everyone does like because it's easier and it doesn't break and it's cheaper and like, there's all these reasons why it, it makes financial sense to use plastic. But from an ethical standpoint, we think 
well, it's just a ton more plastic that we're creating and sending out into the world, like tons of it. So we have our product in glass jars. Yeah, so just small things like that, like choosing where you want to live. So for us, Raglan made sense because it's a community that that wants to live like that. It wants to be greener and cleaner and supportive and do good things and volunteer. And there's all these amazing organizations here that do good stuff. And that just made more sense to us than staying where we were in Auckland, which was more focused on status and money and corporate life. And so I think, yeah, I think being authentic, like if you know what your own values are, and then you'll naturally want to apply those values to whatever project or business you're involved in. And if you can't do that, like if you're restricted in doing that, then there's always going to be internal conflict for you and and that's never a nice position to be in and I've been in jobs before where I've done things that I think you know that doesn't really sit with me like that's that's not really me I wouldn't do it this way if it was my business and at that point you can decide like do I keep staying in this job or in this company that's not really aligned with me and my values or do you think okay I'm out of here like I'm gonna go do my own thing and make it how I want it how I want the world to be and so that's what we've done now do you ever feel like you're missing out because you don't take advantage of those non-socially responsible customers or the ability to maybe do more economies of scale by using plastic or any of those sort of sacrifices that you're making along the way to be inside your values there are times when we have jar breakages for instance like they will sometimes break on deliveries we package them really well but it can still happen but we think oh plastic would be easier but we'd never we'd still never use plastic like because you instantly after that thought get yeah but that doesn't work we don't want plastic and yeah we could make more money if we did it but that's not really the point either it's not a it's not a giant money-making enterprise like it started just out of passion and it started in recycled jars like i was getting them from the recycle center to make our yogurt in so I just used the same ones for the first ones we sold and it just continued how it started. So I don't think we feel like we're really missing out on anything. There's so much more to gain from living an authentic life than there is from living a non-authentic one. Now, you sort of mentioned the living in the city and the quest for status and I guess maybe that growing bank account conversation of I have things, but you've really been working on collecting experiences and ideas for the last couple of years. How has that changed your mindset? It's amazing. Things are clutter. Things clutter your mind. They clutter your soul. They rule you (laughs) without wanting to sound like over the top there, but I feel like they do. They take up a lot of space, like not just physical space, but mental and emotional and spiritual space. And once you stop focusing on things, then you're free. Like, you you need a lot less. At one point in my life, I was working on startups, and I was living on, I don't know, $250 a week or something. And you're forced to be creative with that. You have to live simply, buy less, reuse stuff, have less things overall. And I am from doing that for that period of time. I think I've just kept that same mentality. So like at the moment in our house, like if you look around, there's really nothing expensive here. <laughs> we don't have a TV. We don't have like a big stereo system. Our bed is made out of pallets, like just four pallets with a mattress on top, you know. 
our side tables are like recycled things that we've found. Our table was a cable drum that happened to be in the garden when we bought the house and we thought, oh, that looks all right. That can be the table. Like that's sort of our approach with, with everything. Like nothing is really new or shiny, but it, but it works. And that's all you really need. It just needs stuff that works. For us, our values are good food and health. So the thing we will spend money on is good quality food. It's probably our most expensive bill is, is our food bill, and that's important to us. I just think it's a really nice way to live. Then you have more money for things like travel, doing a cool thing like an adventure or learning something. Yeah, stuff doesn't make you happy, and study after study has shown that stuff doesn't make you happy, but people still seem to want a lot of stuff. It's one of life's great mysteries. But by creating this lifestyle, you have really all the status anybody would ask for. You're running your own company. You have employees. You're living inside your values. You have an income that fits your lifestyle. Is there anything else that you could imagine that the city version of status might offer you? Um, Apart from more events, like that was the one thing I did like about living in the city was being able to network, being able to go to interesting, I don't know, say talks or events or shows that were happening. That's really the only thing I've ever missed about the city. And you can just drive and go to things. I just went up last weekend for um, Elizabeth Gilbert. And that was amazing. So I just made a special trip up for her talk and then came back. No need to stay. No, I don't feel like I'm missing anything. Now, as you're collecting this sort of laundry list of experiences, what's Mm -hmm. changing about your personality? I'm becoming more flexible. That's been a big one for me. I know you know about personality type. For those listening who might not, um, Myers-Briggs personality um, types are quite prevalent. There's 16 different types. Anyway, I'm ENFJ, and so the J part of my personality is uh, judging, which likes structure, and it likes lists, and it likes things to be organized and clear and like on time and has this kind of need for certainty with things. And then my partner uh, is opposite. He's a P, which is perceiving, and that's usually more um, go with the flow, more spontaneous, more let's see what the moment brings and then respond to the moment. And that's been really good for me. And moving to Raglan, where you're surrounded by, I feel like most of the people here are P's. (laughs) Uh, It seems to attract that type of go with the flow, relaxed person. has helped loosen me up a bit and made me more flexible when things don't go to plan, although it's still difficult for me when things don't go to plan. Yeah, and that's really developed my personality. I feel more more balanced now because I can have my structure, but then if the structure doesn't work out, then I'm not devastated, you know, things move on and, and I can flow with it better. It's amazing. I know when I first moved to New Zealand, all of New Zealand felt like a pee to me. <laughs> everybody's so chill and nobody's in a hurry and people are happy to have a random conversation when you're buying petrol yes and I'm like I have seven minutes for this transaction I can't go to 12 minutes or I'm going to not be on time for my next transaction <laughs> so I absolutely understand the, the importance of flexibility and I think it's also a really interesting sign of maturity when we can reflect on it and say Maybe it's not my ideal situation that somebody's running late or something's not structured, but I can, I'm not going to die. Yeah. 
Yeah. Nothing about somebody being late short of a medical emergency is going to cause somebody to die. Yes. And with business, you're often late and things don't go to schedule. As you know, because we've had to reschedule this because last last time we made a time, our label applicator broke down. And I sent you an email saying, sorry, Erin, uh, I'm going to be hand-sticking a few hundred labels on jars, so we'll have to reschedule and... Yeah, and so even though the, the, the J and me hates doing that to you and hates changing the plan last minute because that's not what I like people to do to me, I realize, hey, she'll be okay. Like, we can do it another time, and it happens all the time. Well, and the reality is, is we can't plan for everything. No. No matter how hard we try, we cannot plan for everything. Contingency plans only take you so far. Working with your partner being quite the, the flexible version do you find yourself echoing his style or just complimenting it by saying, actually, we should probably have a contingency plan just in case? <laughs> yeah, I think it's more complimentary. You can feel a bit annoying <laughs> when you're the one who's like, but what about this? Have we talked about this? We need to book that in. But he likes that. He's, he quite likes that side of me. And since us being together, he's started using his um, Google Calendar. I'm like a... Google Calendar fiend, like everything's all blocked out weeks in advance. And when he first saw that, he thought I was really strange. He was like, whoa, you're way OCD. <laughs> but now he's using his Google Calendar and it's working for him. So. Fair enough. Mine is also color-coded, so don't even feel that. Yeah. However, life doesn't follow structure. Nothing, nothing really good or exciting ever has the structure we wish for it. Yeah, you, you need the adrenaline and the excitement and the the thrill of surviving the 800 labels that you had to hand place. And it probably gave you a little bit of a reminder of yesteryear when you just started out and you hadn't yet figured we out all those processes. Yeah, we were hand labeling for a good while to start with. We had a system. I'd peel them off. I'd hand them to Seb. He'd hand stick them. We got quite fast at it. But as the volumes go up, you really just can't uh, keep doing it that way. <laughs> It's one thing for, you know, 20 labels, something different for 800. Exactly. Yep. There is a reason for mechanization. Yeah, machines help. <laughs> now, you've moved your space a little bit a couple of times for the yogurt business. Have you done the same with the agency or have you sort of maintained that the agency will be virtual regardless of where you are? Yeah, it's completely virtual um, and has been the whole time. We tend to do meetings in cafes or clients' offices. And that's worked really well. There's really no need to have a physical premise. All the people who work with us are contractors, and so they all work from their home. We have a guy in Christchurch. We have a guy in Auckland. We have a friend in Australia who does some work with us. Other areas, it, yeah, they don't have to be in a location. Um, they just need a computer and internet. Makes the world awfully small when you think all we need is the computer and internet in order to get something done and be a productive part of the workforce. It's amazing. It's so nice. But managing a distributed team is always challenging. So how are you balancing client deliverables and you know somebody on a different time zone? Yeah, it has been hard in some cases. You just have to be aware of the time difference. And so you know, if you email someone in the morning and they're in Perth, they're not going to get that email for the next four or five hours. And then you kind of have to plan around that by adding in, say, another day to everything that you're 
organizing so deadlines get pushed out by an extra day to allow time for them but we've kept it tighter and tighter as we've gone along like to start with we had some people in I can't remember we had someone in America or and then it was it was like a whole day and that was quite frustrating so now it's we just work with people in New Zealand and a couple of Kiwis who now live in Aussie and it's not a huge time difference so you can kind of make it work we did have to change that. Like my sister, for example, was helping with the admin for our for the coconut area company, and she's in Perth. She just moved there recently, and it was good to start with. But then there were some things that were really time dependent, like you had to get say an, an order processed by a certain time or remind people to order by a certain time, and yeah, so we ended up having to find someone in Hamilton to help us with that. It would be nice to keep her involved as she's family, but. So for a few things, it doesn't work. For most things, it does work. And what have you learned from that process? I think I've learned to not always hire people just because they're my family members or good friends, <laughs> which is a lesson for me that I've had to keep relearning because I really care about the people that I know well, as, I, as everyone does, right? Like you, you love your family and you love your friends. And for me, I've always try to incorporate them into the things I'm doing so give them opportunities so if I'm I've got a writing project and I have a friend who wants to learn copywriting I'll get her involved and give her some work and and train her and teach her and it's worked really well like with certain friends I've they've fully learned copywriting through me and now have jobs doing copywriting and then in other cases it's not if it's not really a natural fit like if the only thing is sort of that you're connected to them through friendship or family, then it can just get a bit awkward. And it's probably better to not have even gone down that path to start with. I'm guilty of seeing potential in people that they haven't even realized is there or know is there but don't even really want to develop. <laughs> and I then try and develop it for them. I've learned, or I'm learning, I won't say I've learned it yet, I'm learning to not do that. Now, this sort of leans back to the very start of our conversation where you were talking about how sometimes you have to do something differently because what was happening isn't the right path. Yeah. And you only figure it out once you start, right? My sister needed a job. She was just working in a cafe. She's fantastic. I love her. I thought, great, you can be our admin person. You know, I sort of roped her in, trained her up. I never really thought to say, are you excited about being an admin person? <laughs> and then find out that actually she prefer her evenings were free to study singing, which she's really passionate about. So, you know, you, yeah, it's like a double communication and um, enthusiasm blindness issue that I have. But you also sort of talked about those people who have a list of excuses of why their idea isn't going into execution. And I think it sort of follows the same path when we kind of look at it and you say, oh, well, why is this not working out? Well, because I'm consciously or unconsciously making a choice not to make this work. I'm mm. not doing, I'm not passionate. I'm not sweating. I'm not putting in the time or the hours or the love or whatever it might be. And that process we have to learn those lessons, right? I I have a lot of those lessons still to learn. Mm. Why is it too hard? If I can do it, anybody can do it. Yeah, yeah. But you can't force your own enthusiasm and energy onto someone else who doesn't have it. Like, And that's what 
what I do. Like someone tells me their idea and I, and I go, oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, you can definitely make a go of that. And then I start trying to make an action plan for them. But I'm not doing it with them necessarily. I'm doing it for them, <laughs> which I realize now. Sometimes they'll get excited too. And then other times you can see it in their eyes. It's like, I can see you can see where this is going, but I don't actually feel like I'm ready for this myself. So is that changing the way you get excited for people now? Yes. I am trying to listen more and ask more questions and offer less help. I think that's the main thing because I love helping people. So I just want to get stuck in there and say, oh, I'll connect you to this person and um, I can tell you where to source that from and like, um, I just want to help them. But people can get a bit overwhelmed by all of this help especially if they're not feeling ready to execute yet. <laughs> so I'm trying to hold myself back a little bit. And then every time I come to Seb, because he's not like this at all, and say, oh, I've just been talking to so-and-so. They want to start this. And I'm thinking I can help them with this, 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 and this. Seb is like, whoa, like slow down. Like You're doing enough things already. You don't need to help so-and-so with their project. They probably don't even want your help. <laughs> and um, it reigns me in a bit. So now are you trying to wait to be asked to help somebody? I get asked a lot. I mean, I'm already asked by people all the time to help them with things, and I, I always do, even when it's sometimes quite inconvenient. But I think it's more that I'll offer it, and then if there's hesitation, then I don't offer anything else. And that's come through the damage that you've experienced in the past. Yeah. <laughs> Now, in hindsight, what would you do differently? In those situations, I just wouldn't have leapt in so fast. I think it's more of a look before you leap. I am a real optimist and I have a lot of enthusiasm, which is great, but it's not always needed in every situation. People need to find their own enthusiasm. It's a really kind of important life lesson is that you can't necessarily transfer that. For somebody yeah. who's already just about to tip over to the enthusiastic point, a positive comment can nurture that excitement. It's a huge difference. So as a semi-professional cheerleader of <laughs> other people's experiences, how are you trying to help the people that do ask for help? All sorts of different ways. Like through the, through the foodie stuff now, I get people all the time who will just message me or email me um, and say, hey, I want to start this foodie thing. I see you're doing it already. Um, can you give me, I don't know, a contact for, for labels? Do you know someone who's good for sourcing jars? Do you know? Like it's often just information that they want. Or it's, hey, I, I want to try this approach with wholesaling, um, but I'm not sure if it'll work. What do you think might work? That's so sort of more advice on their business strategy. Or it's marketing ideas. I have this product. How do you think I could get it out there? I see you've done this this way. Do you think that would work for me? So a lot of that stuff. And then there's a lot of connecting as well. And I, I love connecting people. And so I recently um, organized like a foodie getaway for food business owners. So about 30 different food business owners all came to Raglan. We booked an eco-retreat. We had a whole weekend. We did a few different activities, and, but mostly just talked and hung out and ate food and swapped ideas. And creating that kind of space is something that I love. 
and get really excited about. And so you need someone with a lot of enthusiasm to make that happen because it's it's actually really hard to get everyone in the same place. And then towards the end of organizing things like this, I'm always like, you're nuts. Like, why did you take this on? Like, you've got this person canceling and now this room's not available and how are we going to fit everyone? And like, there's always these things that go wrong at the last minute. But, but then when it happens, it's beautiful and it's, yeah, it's so special. And so we're going to do another one of those this year because we've run it so much. Um, so I think that that's providing help in a really non-invasive way. <laughs> it's more just like creating a space and then stuff comes out of it. And like out of that one event, there's all these collaborations with people like, oh, we'll do the show together and we'll share a stand or, hey, I can use your product and my product because you've got this ingredient that I need or hey, why don't we do like a combined Facebook giveaway next week? And like all those things came out of it. And I love that kind of stuff. That's definitely one of the ways that I help people. And then with the writing, I've done a lot of mentoring, the copywriting, because people don't know that copywriting is a job. And then when they hear about it, they think, oh, that's really cool. I'd like to do that. But they don't know how to do it because you don't get taught about it at school. And it's not really something that comes up in the potential jobs for you, careers list. So I've done a lot of just chats with people, like met up with them, explained how it works, given them an idea of income, given them an idea of how they get started, given them some trial jobs to do so they can put on their CV, like that sort of thing. And I enjoy that. I like I like doing that sort of thing for people. So being a connector is kind of a pivotal role in a lot of communities. Certainly when you start talking about the, the foodie community, saving somebody the cost of a full stand at a show or giving them an opportunity to get a better supplier or any of those things, mm. those would traditionally be sort of consulting work functions where they would bring you in as a food consultant and you would say, here are the things that I can help your business with. Why is it that you're just giving it away? Well, I just like doing it. So I never really think to charge for it. And I figure it's all just one big karmic thing where it all comes back to you in one way or another so if we're the friendly helpful people then people will generally be friendly and helpful back to you and people give us food that's awesome (laughs) I'll have to work for food (laughs) well as you said that is your top bill in your household if you're connected with boutique beautiful artisan food suppliers that reduces your food bill Exactly. We have the best food. <laughs> we do a lot of swaps, a lot of coconut yogurt for muesli and coconut yogurt for nut butter. And it's great. Now, that's definitely, I'm going to say, a Kiwi mentality of the, I'm going to say, trade, barter. Bartering. Mm. Um, negotiate with things other than money. It's lovely. It's so nice. I wish we could just operate like that with everything. If we get impractical with certain services. But... Yeah, at least with food. I feel like you could do that with food in a small community. Like you grow cucumbers and someone else makes bread and you all trade. Yeah, anyway, that's my utopian society that (laughs) doesn't exist. But you're doing all the things in your power somewhat to create it. You're creating a sustainable lifestyle that focuses on people and experiences over collecting things. You sort of are on your way there, if not 100%. Raglan's the place. Just a couple of days ago, we had a guy um, offer us a solar-powered 
portable stereo unit in exchange for yogurt. <laughs> we were like, hey, yes, that sounds awesome. <laughs> so I think people were starting to know that that we'll trade for yogurt. <laughs> I'm sure your accountant hates these types of transactions on the PL. <laughs> How do you record that exactly? <laughs> Acquired assets with coconut yogurt. <laughs> but I mean, there, there is sort of a value statement of the retail value of a product versus the cost value of a product. So you can yeah. actually trade at retail value. And everyone gets a good deal. It works for everyone. Now, you've gotten really involved in sort of the local community of Raglan. Why yeah. is that important to you? Um, I think you can't live here without getting involved. It's that kind of place that people just get stuck in with whatever's happening and like to help and like to get involved. And I, when we came here, we came here thinking we're going to stay here. Like it's not a transition town for us or anything. It's it's home. We're creating a community here. We don't have kids, so when you don't have kids, like the community is your family. Seb's family all live in Germany, so he never sees them. My family have just moved down to Hamilton as part of that sort of community we're creating because before that they lived in Dargaville, maybe four and a half hours drive from here. Um, and we offered them jobs working with the, the yogurt. So my brother and sister helped us with making the yogurt, and so was my mom. And um, so they all moved down. Yeah, we're sort of here to stay and just want to do as much as we can to make it a even cooler place to live. And it's really fun. Like once you start getting involved in things, it's kind of addictive. You want to do more, more things. We're in the, like the local chamber of commerce and the time bank, which is a, a system very similar to what we were describing. You swap time. Um, instead of money so like I might give you an hour in your garden and you might do some baking for me for an hour or something cool um we get people to do our sewing like if our clothes need repairing we do that through the time bank uh, I've lent people my car through the time bank and you just accumulate some time credits so that's really cool so that's a local initiative I think there's time banks all around the world actually but I'd never heard about it before before coming to Raglan then we have a uh, savings pool. So we run a savings pool. There's three, I want to say three savings pools now, Raglan. I think we're the second one to start. And so that's pooling your uh, savings uh, into a shared account. And then you can borrow money from the pool interest-free. So rather than going to a bank and getting a loan, you can get a loan from your pool of friends or community members and fund the thing you want to fund and then repay it into the pool over time without paying interest. But the, the catch, if you like, or the way it works, is that you pay back the amount you borrowed and then save that same amount again into the pool, So, which creates more resource for other people to borrow from. And then once you finish your payment, then you can you could withdraw it all if you wanted to or just leave it in the pool for people to keep borrowing and repaying. It's a really cool system, and when we first heard about it, we were like, oh, this is this is, makes so much sense. And so with that, like, that's how we built our yurt. So we got a loan from our savings pool to build a yurt, which we can then have a yurt and, you know, put it on Airbnb or have people stay in it and then use that money to repay it into the pool with no interest. So it's kind of, it just it's a much nicer system 
than dealing with the bank. It's amazing right? the sort of sustainable ecosystem that you've started to create. And I can't imagine what it'll look like five years from now when you have even a broader network and the internet's made the world that much smaller. Yeah, it's really special being able to be somewhere like that. Now, looking back, do you have any regrets on the path you've taken? Nope, none. <laughs> I, can't, I can't think of any. Um, I didn't go to university. I didn't go to school. So maybe I probably missed some experiences, but I can't think of any that really bother me to have missed. Yeah, I've worked in a lot of different jobs. I've never really had a whole lot of money at one time, but that's been fine too. <laughs> it's probably better if I have some. <laughs> no, like some. <laughs> no I, think, I think the, the more solid in ourselves we get, the less we think back and think, oh, I should have done that differently. Oh, I actually think they could have done differently, but they all kind of made up the overall experience, so none of them seem really that bad. <laughs> Now, one of the things that I love asking is, what are you reading, watching, or listening to? Well, I have been on a big Jodie Pico buzz, so I read lots of those. I just kind of get into one thing and just want to read a lot of that. So I, I basically read all of her books over the last few months. I was also reading at the same time Rising Strong by Brene Brown. Um, who you would probably know, and if anyone doesn't, um, she studies vulnerability, uh, shame, guilt, fear, lots of fun emotions, and yeah, and writes about that. It's really interesting reading. I read uh, Liz Gilbert's latest book, Big Magic, about creativity and the creative process. I loved that as well, which is why I was excited to go to her talk the other week. And then just in the last few days, I've started reading Forgiveness and Other Acts of Love by um, Stephanie Daldrick. She's an Australian author. It's a book I've read before, but it's been sitting there for a while, and I keep thinking I need to come back to it because I had quite a lot of insights. And it talks about, I think she covers seven different virtues, courage, forgiveness, grace. So that's reading. Listening to uh, TED Talks. We watch a lot of TED Talks. They're always really good. The one I watched most recently was Al Gore's Perspective on Climate Change. And it was so positive and that was really encouraging. I was prepared for like another series of disastrous photographs that would make me feel sad <laughs> for how the world is going. But it was like that at the beginning and then the second half was all good news. So, oh yeah. And watching, we're watching Shark Tank religiously. <laughs> We only just found it. Some friends came down and they were watching it. It's an American show, which is probably why we hadn't heard of it. And we don't have a TV, so we kind of miss shows. But because it's business and it's entrepreneurs and it's ideas and it's pitching and it's all these things that we're interested in, we find it really fun. And I just like seeing all the new products and things people come up with. There's some really great ideas that come through there. Well, thank you so much for giving me your time today. You have been an absolute pleasure, and I can't wait to see the time bank savings ecosystem that you're going to be helping to create for the future. Thanks, Erin. Thanks for chatting. We're sorry, but the bar is now closed. Subscribe on iTunes and Stitcher to get updates and alerts for the newest pieces, and come see us at criticallydrinking.com.